global business news 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app. And on your radio, this is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. The Bloomberg Futures Report brought to you by Interactive Brokers and CME Group. If you're looking for global futures contracts with low trading costs, look no further. Interactive Brokers is the industry leader. Learn more at interactivebrokers.com slash CME Group. U.S. stock index futures are a little changed after the S&P 500's longest streak of weekly decline since January. While a spate of deal activity boosted some shares, we check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up less than a point. Dow E-mini futures down four. NASDAQ E-mini futures up five. Ten-year Treasury down 7.30 seconds. The yield 1.72%. Yield on the two-year 0.77%. NYMEX crude oil up 2.7% of $1.25 to 47.46 a barrel. COMEX gold up one and a quarter percent or $15.90 to 12.88.60 an ounce. The euro $1.1332. The yen 108.77. And that's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thanks so much. This is a great way to start your Monday. Michael McKee, there has been an intelligent debate about whether Europe, part of it is, will the periphery leave the core of the continent? And another way to look at it, which has been touched upon by Joachim Fels in essays, his time with Morgan Stanley, is will the core leave the periphery, which is a whole different twist of view, <laughs> which, Michael, is exactly what you'd expect from Joachim Fels. Well, obviously, uh, we've been uh, watching the old pigs, uh, Portugal, uh, Ireland, Italy, Spain, Greece, uh, and now you got to watch Great Britain, and there's been a lot of talk about if they're going to fix the EU, Germany's got to go. Joachim Fels is now the uh, chief global economic advisor to Pacific Investment Management Company. He's traded in the gloom of England and Germany in terms of weather for the sunshine of California. Um, but that hasn't changed his uh, his outlook. <laughs> so welcome, uh, Joachim. Where do you see the EU going from here? Well, I think, Michael, we've learned something and policymakers have learned something during the euro crisis. Um, I think what they've learned is that, yes, there are tensions, there are imbalances within the euro area, um, but disentangling this entity is extremely difficult. So I think there is a willingness to keep the euro together. Um, it's a bit like, you know, saying you can turn three or four eggs into an omelette, uh, and we did that with the euro, but you can't turn the omelette back into the egg. So disentangling the euro would be extremely costly, uh, and I think there is still the political will to hold it together. Uh, the bigger question at the moment is, of course, what happens to the European Union and what happens to the UK in the EU. And I think, um, well, that's, I think, something that has been weighing down on markets and will continue to weigh down on markets as we head into the referendum on June 23rd. Well, we have talked a lot about what would happen to the British economy if they were to leave the European Union. What happens to the European Union economy without Britain? Well, it's obviously bad news. I think the U.K., from a political perspective, the U.K. was always a good counterbalance to forces that were going for more regulation uh, within the European Union. So I, I think it would be sad to see uh, Britain go. I think it would be bad news for Europe also from a, a, an economic perspective because the U.K. is an important trading partner. Um, but more importantly, I think a vote in the UK to exit 
would give support to anti-European and anti-Euro forces in other member states. So I think this would lead to more political uncertainty uh, in other European countries. It could weigh down on the euro. It might force the ECB to do even more easing. Um, and then I think this could turn into a global risk-off event um, if the dollar strengthens a lot on the back of this, the dollar as a safe haven currency, because that might then bring the Chinese back into play. And China, as we've learned back in August of last year and early this year, China does not want to see the dollar appreciating uh, because uh, they are linked to the dollar. So uh, this is how Brexit could turn into a major event, not only for Britain and for Europe, but also for the global economy. Well, how likely is it that we get a knock-on effect in other European countries one way or the other? A lot of people are not focused on the fact that uh, three days after the Brits vote, the Spanish vote again. Yes, Spain, Spain will vote again, um, and the situation, the political situation is quite messy in that country. Uh, but in many other countries, you have had support to anti-European and anti-immigrant parties. Look at the core countries. Look at Germany, where the AFD, which started out as an anti-Euro party and is now riding on the uh, anti-immigration ticket, how, how that party has gained in strength. Look at France, where the Front National and Marie Le Pen uh, has a good chance to win at least the first round of the presidential election. So I think this is a European-wide phenomenon. And again, if the, the British people vote to exit, mm -hmm. I think this would give, give support to these other forces elsewhere. Within the balance, and Ambrose Evans Pritchard, I thought, had a, a most interesting, uh, a tinged pro-Brexit column in the Telegraph, talking about the pushback from none other than Olivier Blanchard, who's now over with Adam Posen it. Uh, the Peterson Institute, uh, where he talks about will, will financing be more difficult after Brexit? Will investors see the British government is more risky? And the professor says, I don't think so. There, there's some there's some discreet pushback among the elites within the elite, isn't there? Yeah, I think that's true. By the way, we'll have Olivier Blanchard here in Newport Beach tomorrow uh, speaking at our secular forum. Um, and we'll certainly discuss that with him well, as well. I think the, the, the British... Wait, wait, wait. The price of a shameless plug like that is we need to get Joachim Fels and Olivier Blanchard on with us tomorrow, Michael. Don't you think so? I mean, that is the price of that blatant shameless plug by the good Dr. Fels. We can just broadcast the secular forum live. That would go over big, wouldn't it? <laughs> nice try, nice try. Well, so, uh, so, so, but to come back to your question, Tom, um, I don't think the credit of the U.K. government is at risk if Britain goes uh, for Brexit. But I think the U.K. would become a less attractive destination for foreign direct investment, multinational companies from Asia, from the States, who use the U.K. as an entry point into this big European yeah. market, both in the financial well, sector and in the, in the real economy. Let's come back. Jakob Fels with us with PIMCO. Uh, a very important discussion here. Of course, much more to talk about besides the EU. Love it. Michael McKee, Tom King, and Jakob Fels. Bloomberg surveillance counting down to the opening bell, brought to you by the Jeep Grand Cherokee, the most awarded SUV ever. The Grand Cherokee continues to raise the bar with its luxurious interior and legendary 4x4 capability. Drive one at your local Jeep dealer today. Thank you.
Broadcasting live to New York, Bloomberg 1130. To Washington, D.C., Bloomberg 991. To Boston, Bloomberg 1200. To San Francisco, Bloomberg 960. To the country, Sirius XM Channel 119. And around the globe, the Bloomberg Radio Plus app and Bloomberg.com. This is Bloomberg Surveillance. And good morning. I'm Karen Moscow, along with Tom Keen and Michael McKee. And the opening bell is brought to you by SEI. Imagine assets servicing unconstrained by infrastructure. Our investment operations or investment operations that predictably respond to change. SEI is creating the future state. Go to SEIC.com slash imagine. Stocks are little changed at the open. The S&P 500 is up a point to 2047. Dow Jones Industrial Average is at 17,535. The Nasdaq higher, up to tenths percent or nine points to 47.26. Ten-year Treasury down 10.30 seconds. The yield 1.73 percent. The yield on the two-year 0.77 percent. NYMEX crude oil up 3 percent of $1.40 to 47.61 a barrel. COMEX gold up 1.2 percent or $15.90 to 12.88.60 an ounce. The euro $1.1334. The yen 108.82. Tom and Mike. Thank you very much, Karen Moscow. We're talking with uh, Joachim Fels. He's a global Chief Economic Advisor to the folks at Pacific Income Management, PIMCO, out in Newport Beach, California, where they're holding their um, annual structural uh, conference. With they, Olivia Blanchard they, tomorrow. They figure out where the world is going. Um, going into it, when you have to make a presentation, uh, Joaquin, what do you we, – we talked earlier about the fact that uncertainty is the name of the game in just about every corner of the world. So what's your presentation uh, for this year's conference, uh, going to tell people about where the global economy is going? Well, I'm in the fortunate position to not present at the Secular Forum because what we do at the Secular Forum is we invite external speakers to speak to us, and then we have a lot of debates with those speakers and also internally. But as we look at the secular outlook, as we call it, the next three to five years, I think the biggest question is around low growth, low productivity growth, low inflation, and above all, low equilibrium interest rates. I think, as you know, this has been a PIMCO theme for quite a while, that the neutral rate of interest, the equilibrium rate of interest, is much, much lower than in previous cycles. Um, I think markets have come round to this view. Uh, I think it is now widely accepted that we have a global savings glut that is depressing uh, the equilibrium interest rate. And the big question is, what are the conditions that could change this over our secular, the next three- to five-year time horizon? And I must say, going into it, I have an open mind, but I find it difficult to see the real equilibrium interest rate rising significantly over that time period. I think the forces of the global savings glut are here to stay. Uh, there's an excessive desired saving over desired investment in the world. Um, and one thing that we will focus on in particular is how effective is monetary policy still uh, to fight those headwinds? I think this well, is where we have the biggest question marks. That's a, a real question because the inability to get uh, up uh, the, the uh, neutral rate anywhere in the world uh, is a nail, and central banks have hammers. Uh, so does that make in, uh, helicopter money the end game for most of these central banks around the world? I think that may well happen. Um, helicopter money is not as absurd an idea as, as many people think. Um, in a way, this is about 
fiscal policy, right? I mean, helicopter money is money-financed fiscal policy. I think most experts would agree that the world needs more expansionary fiscal policy, particularly focused on infrastructure investment, but also on tax reform. And uh, it would be easier for governments to do this um, if they could be financed uh, in doing that by central right. banks directly. Within your work of, of many years and with the thematic way that you write, the arch question is, do we drive towards stability and global equilibrium or do we just understood, understand disequilibrium, which may be sooner, deeper recessions? I mean, anybody can pick their gloom weapon. But do you see an equilibrium forward or a disequilibrium forward? I think there's no such thing as an equilibrium in the real world. I think it's a nice concept, um, you know, to to do models of the economy. But I think what we're, what we're actually doing in this world is we're moving from one disequilibrium to the next. There are plenty of disequilibria within economies, uh, within financial markets, and also across the world. And the only question is, you know, can will central banks and governments be able to move us or to, or to avoid the really bad disequilibria? And will we be able uh, to keep dampening volatility as central banks have done so successfully over the past seven, eight years? I think the task will become ever more difficult as we move forward. What then is, um, is a investor supposed to do? at this point? Do you, do you sit and wait things out? Do you put money under the mattress? Uh, it seems like there's no good answer right now. Well, I think there are a few things that you can do in this environment. I mean, if, if you believe that the forces of the savings glut are here to stay um, and that central banks will stay supportive, well, that means interest rates will stay low, but it also means that uh, this expansion, this economic expansion, which is a very weak one, I've called it a triple B expansion where mm. growth is bumpy, below par and brittle, this is likely to continue. Um, and that means that relatively safe credit assets, uh, corporate bonds, uh, highly rated corporate bonds should uh, continue to do well. Um, we have been using the rally that we've seen since the lows of February uh, to lighten up on some of the more risky investments. Uh, so we've been going up in quality. Um, but it all you know, depends on uh, the question whether you believe uh, that this expansion can continue. If you do, um, it does make sense to be in credit. Uh, I also think central banks, including Janet Yellen's Fed, want to run the economy a little bit hot. Right. And that means tips, uh, inflation-linked bonds, um, offer some attractive opportunities. Mm -hmm. um, and then, well, more broadly, I think this is a world where you want to have some liquidity available to right. exploit uh, the bouts and the potholes uh, similar to the ones that we've can, seen in January and in August of last year. Very quickly, can Mario Draghi run the European economy, quote, a little bit hot? It's tougher in Europe because there's still a lot more spare capacity in the labor market and, and in, in, in the economy. But I think he has at least managed to stabilize core inflation and I think he's willing to do more. So I've, I can see another round of QE coming maybe later this year. 
I wouldn't even exclude that he ventures into new asset classes. He's now buying corporate bonds. I think the next step could be a move into buying mm. equities. Oh, you're kidding. When they do that, we have to have you back on. You and Scott Mather can come on and explain that to me. I, the, the European Central Bank, Mike, with a significant position in Siemens, I just can't get there. Jakob Fels, thank you so much. We'd love to be a fly in the wall tomorrow at your conference. I'm sure it'll be most in, uh, informative. He is with PIMCA. Um, uh, always interesting. Olivier Blanchard will be out there. Mike, I just, I'm sorry, I can't get my hands around equity ownership by a central bank. Am I wrong? No, it's a, well, it's against sort of the book, uh, you know, as you, as you would write it. There would be some sort of influence on sectors of the economy by the central bank. Now, Japanese, you know, use ETFs to try and buy, uh, uh, you know, broad sector. So in theory, they're not doing that, but it is an issue. Well, there it is. Uh, open to debate, uh, to say uh, the least. Uh, green on the screen, up 44 points. The VIX, 15.48, up 0.44 points. This hour of surveillance is brought to you by Volvo Cars White Plains. Visit volvocarswhitepplains.com. Here's Michael Barr with the latest news headline. Mike, Tom, thank you very much. Donald Trump says it doesn't look like he's going to have a very good relationship with British Prime Minister David Cameron. Trump's comments broadcast today on ITV's Good Morning Britain are certain to cause unease in Britain, where America is seen as the country's closest ally. Trump is still unhappy with Cameron's criticism of him after Trump called for all Muslims to be temporarily banned from entering the U.S. Trump also called London's new mayor, Sadiq Khan, rude. Khan called Trump's comments about Islam ignorant. Turkish shelling and airstrikes by the U.S.-led military coalition reportedly have killed 27 Islamic State militants in Syria. The Islamic State is losing ground in the Middle East. That's according to the U.S. Special Envoy to the Anti-Islamic State Coalition. Brent McGurk says the extremist group is losing the battle to maintain control in places like the Syrian city of Raqqa, where Jihadi John was killed by a drone. We found him, we tracked him, and we targeted him with such precision on the streets of Raqqa that nobody else was harmed. Meanwhile, Islamic State attacks across Iraq have left at least 29 people dead. One attack yesterday took place at a natural gas plant north of Baghdad. Global News, 24 hours a day, powered by our 2,400 journalists. More than 150 news bureaus around the world. I'm Michael Barr. Mike Tom. Coming up, if you have even a passing interest in this wonderful city, worldwide, on New York City, on his New York City, Robert Bernstein. It's Bloomberg Surveillance. Bloomberg Surveillance brought to you by National Realty. 30% returns on cash and rented real estate. Find them at NRIA.net. 